Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's Kadima Talk. I'm Rabbi Eric Carlson speaking to you from the Eastern Gate of America, America's birthplace, Jamestown, Virginia. Today we want to talk a little bit about the dangers of pride, of the manifestation of pride, and how this is affecting the greater body of Messiah today. Pride is the most significant hindrance to unity and congregational growth that we and most other congregations suffer, or in many of your cases, businesses. And this, there's a healthy pride and an unbiblical pride. So there's pride in ownership. There's pride in a job well done. This is the kind of pride I'm talking about. I'm talking about pride that's the root cause of rebellion against God. It causes congregational splits, self-righteousness, arrogance, and unforgiveness. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 through 18, it says, Be careful not to forget Adonai your God. And, you know, that's a whole other statement that that could be a whole other Kadima talk. And this is interesting that we're warned, do not forget Adonai. And I believe as a nation, because in Devarim, Deuteronomy, that he, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel. And I think we've gotten to a place in America that we've forgotten God. And uh, we have to turn back to him. He's the source of all things. And so we were warned in verse 11, Deuteronomy 8, be careful not to forget Adonai your God by not obeying his mitzvot, rulings, and regulations that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, verse 12, after you've eaten and are satisfied, built fine houses and lived in them and increased your herds, flocks, silver, gold, and everything else you own, you'll become proud-hearted. This means wealth and material blessings, which result in pride. We are the richest nation on earth. No one can even compare to our gross national product. So we're at a place now where we all have fine houses. We're eating well. In fact, one of the major issues in America today is obesity, the inability to put the fork down. The most powerful drug in America today is the fork. It's killing us. Diabetes, heart disease, all these other afflictions because of gluttony, overeating. We have fine houses. We're, we're living in them. We've increased our wealth substantially. And, you know, I, I've shared this as a person who's traveled extensively. I've been to Africa. I've been to the former Soviet Union nations. I've been to many third world countries. America is, in fact, the richest nation on earth. Our poorest people have homes, have a refrigerator in it with an ice cube. 5% of the world's population, Ms. Pocha, you listen to me, 5% of the world's population has daily access to an ice cube. I don't know any American that doesn't have ready access to an ice cube. You know you're back in the Western world when you're served a glass of whatever your drink or beverage is, and it has ice in it. So here we are, the richest nation on earth, and uh, and we've gotten all this material wealth and these blessings. In verse 14, you will become proud-hearted forgetting Adonai your God. So we opened about this warning not to be careful to not forget God. How could we forget God? Because of a prideful heart, because of material wealth, we think, oh, we've done this ourselves. And in this, back to verse 14, you will become proud-hearted, forgetting Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you lived as slaves, who led you through the vast and fearsome desert with his poisonous snakes, scorpions, and waterless, thirsty ground, who brought water out of a flint rock for you, who fed you in the desert with man, unknown to your ancestors, all the while humbling and testing you in order to do you good in the end. 
you will think to yourself, verse 17, here's a danger, my own power and the strength of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. No, you are to remember Adonai your God because it is he who is giving you the power to get wealth in order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors and is happening even today. So this is something that's uh, gotten into not just our nation, but this infiltrates into ministries. It's unfortunate that in America, a lot of ministry is not so much about God, but it's more about making money. We have many, many multi-millionaire evangelists and TV people that have fleets of Rolls Royces. They're pulling in 150, 200, 250 million a year. Now, endemically, that, that's not an issue. Abraham, blessed by God, was the richest man on the earth at that time. Uh, but it's how we <laughs> interact with the world around us and what we do with this wealth and why we are doing it. Because it's in this that we then have a prideful heart and forget Adonai is our God. Pride is something that everyone else notices you have but you. A prideful heart lends us to think that we do things ourselves, that we're self-made people, and forget about or even worse, remove God and his teachers from our culture, governments, homes, families, ministries, businesses. And this is where we're at as individuals and as a nation. We've forgotten who got us here and what we've been delivered from. Verse 19 is the end result of the sin of pride of Deuteronomy 8. If you forget Adonai your God, follow other gods and serve and worship them. I'm warning you in advance today that you will certainly perish. This is a clarion warning cry to America. This is a clarion warning cry to the, to the greater church, to the body of Messiah and America today. If we don't humble ourselves before the Lord, if we don't stop the idolatry and the wickedness and the evil of this nation, God has warned us in advance, that we will certainly perish. God hates pride. God hates self-righteousness. God hates arrogance. Proverbs 8 verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil ways, and duplicitous speech. And why does God hate this? For the very reason he mentioned in Deuteronomy 8. Pride is a hindrance in seeking God. It's a hindrance to his presence. It results in idolatry. It separates us from God. It causes us to forget God. Psalms 10 verse 4, every scheme of the wicked in his arrogance says there is no God, so it won't be held against me. The arrogant and haughty pride is in opposition to the spirit of humility that God seeks. We're to approach God with clean hands and a pure heart. We're to be contrite and humble before him. The humble God blesses with salvation. The humble will inherit the kingdom of God. We're told to be humble, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another is an interesting side note here that we have to work with each other. This goes back to brotherhood and brotherly love, that we are interrelated and our interactions with each other affect our interactions with Adonai. The prideful, however, are so blinded by their arrogance and pride that they believe they have no need of God. God warns us about this pride, his distaste of it, and the consequences of pride in Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and arrogance before failure. Better to be humble among the poor than share the spoil with the proud. Pride goes before destruction and arrogance before failure. Listen, I do wholeheartedly believe that we're on the cusp of a major sovereign 
move of God. I believe that we're at the beginnings of the final restoration in Acts 3. I do believe that God is moving profoundly. But because of, and listen, we, we see this throughout periods of time. We, we see the, the sovereign spirit of God ebb and flow. Uh, you know, it's not like a spigot. You just can't go over there and turn the Holy Spirit on and out it comes. There has to be, uh, on our part, action. We have to seek him. We have to pray. We have to cry out. We have to intercede. We have to fast. We have to establish the atmosphere for his presence within us and within the greater body of Messiah. And then, listen, revival starts at the individual level, you and I. And when you, I, me, three, five, ten people are in personal individual revival, those people get together and start bonfires, raging fires of revival that will sweep across nations. But to do so requires an increase of purity, holiness, and righteousness upon us. It has to be the complete removal of all pride. And because of this, there's an increased scrutiny in the kingdom of God right now of Adonai upon his people. He's cleaning house. Ezekiel 9, he calls forth the warriors uh, to destroy Jerusalem, to kill, to slaughter all those who have turned against God. But he first calls forth for one to go and put a mark upon the forehead of every person that's crying out, that's groaning over the wickedness and, and the evil that's happening in the land. Those people are spared. They've got a mark on their forehead. Everyone else gets slaughtered. And so to know this, that there's an increased scrutiny right now. It's an Ezekiel 9 moment. He's cleaning house in preparation for the restoration of all things. And because of this, we've witnessed so many moral failures in a greater body. And, and why, again, why is it? Is the very essence for why we're talking here today is pride. How, how does the rich man stumble? Pride. How do business people who are successful, their own their own businesses, how do they fail? Arrogance and pride. This affects all areas in our life, not just in ministry. It affects our relationships, our marriages, our businesses, all that we do, pride and arrogance. And we're seeing this revealed in the body. Listen, just <laughs> if you Google this, I'm, I'm going to prattle a few names off here. And I, I'm not normally prone to do this, but these are some of the larger ones that you've heard over the last 10, 12 years. There's over 50 that have in the last 25 years had great moral failures that were icons in Christendom, that were well-known men and women of God who got prideful, who got arrogant, and they fell. Ted Haggard out of Colorado, Todd Bentley in the Polk City Revival down in Florida, the recent Ravi Zacharias, which I talked about last, Kadima, even Perry Stone has stepped down for improprieties with his staff, then, in this last year, and, and let me say with a caveat here, there's probably been the last 15 to 20 years, it just culminated in the last four or five months, this whole false prophet scandal who proclaimed Trump would be sworn in on January 20th, the false, false prophets. And we see many, many megachurch pastors stepping down, succumbing to more your failure. We recently, in the last week, had a church in Tennessee stand up and say that God's word's not infallible and that it's not the absolute truth and that God's word is in, unable to deal with this advanced, enlightened society and uh, that we have today, that we, we see this across the board. This is crazy. It's Meshuggah. But all these things have something in common. All these failures have something in common, pride and arrogance. I want to share a few lines from a well-written article that I spoke about a month ago. This was published on January 20th, 2021 by 
Christianity Today regarding the false prophecies. It says, unfortunately, social media makes it next to impossible to control the national stage and consumeristic North American Christians. You get that? Consumeristic North American Christians who tend to gravitate toward what they're inclined to hear. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4, uh, you know, it's at that message that tickles the ear. It's not the fault of true prophets and teachers. It's false ones who often get higher view counts. Times when the prophetic voice is silent in the land or desperate times or even times of judgment. And this is exactly where I believe we're at as a nation. But times when false prophecy dominates are even worse. This means that the law of supply and demand can affect religious media. When people do not want true prophecy, they will get what is false. Jeremiah 5 verse 31 says, The prophets prophesy lies. The Kohanim, the priests, the pastors, the the rabbis obey the prophets, and my people love it that way. But what will you do at the end of it all? What a somber warning. If consumers of a particular political or other bent want to hear prophecies and support their desires, prophets who meet those felt needs will become most popular. Recent history suggests that some of them will maintain most of their audiences even when their prophecies fail. Especially in difficult times, most prophets tell people what they want to hear, making things all the harder for true prophets. But God reveals the burden of proof in Jeremiah 28, verses 8 through 9. The prophets who were here before me and before you prophesied in times past against many countries and against great kingdoms about war, disaster, and plagues. As for a prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet is fulfilled, it will be evident concerning that prophet that Adonai indeed did send him. So at the other extreme from inflexible defenders of prophecies are those who are tempted to throw out prophecy altogether, neglecting the baby in the bathwater. The humblest prophets who were wrong have apologized. Even when we speak initially, we must remain humble and frame our opinions carefully where we lack certainty. Hasatan himself was cast out of heaven because of pride. In Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15, How did you come to fall from the heavens, morning star, son of the dawn? How did you come to be cut to the ground, conqueror of nations? You thought to yourself, I will scale the heavens. I will raise my throne above God's star. I will sit on the mount of assembly far away in the north, and I will rise past the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Instead, you were brought down low to Sheol, to the utmost depths of the pit. How selfish and arrogant, puffed-up pride gave Hasetan the audacity to attempt to make himself like God, the ruler of the universe. And Hasetan, like all these other ministries, like all these other prophets that have failed, it's pride and arrogance that keeps them from having a humble heart, that keeps them from repenting, that keeps them from seeking truth and stepping away from the sin and the wickedness they're involved in. We see many of these people were living uh, split lives. They had two different lives. They had the public life where it looked like a facade of serving God. And in some cases they were serving God. Then you've got the other side where they're living in in wicked, uh, sinful behaviors and actions that cause the presence of God to depart. And so the root of this, we talked about this last week with transparency, but the root of this is dealing with pride and arrogance and a manifestation of pride, which blinds the eyes See, that, and that's the problem because these ministries, these people that are involved in this, they believe that they're above it. And that's the greatest danger. What did Hasetan think? That he's above this, that he can actually replace God. Just because, you know, and let me talk about the Polk City revival for a second because uh, as soon as that started, there was an immediate pushback and people were, were 
who hadn't even been there, who don't know this guy, they're judging, oh, this is demonic, this is of the devil. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but one must be very careful in judging something else, lest you actually be coming against a true sovereign move of God. So Barb, Rabitzin, and I, we, we, we flew down there the first time, and I, I got to share this story because those in the military, uh, you may or may not uh, witness this, uh, the experience that I'm about to share. But we, we flew in, and the worship team that had been down there the entire time, and this had been going on for months now, he got hoarse in the throat. He couldn't sing, so they took a break. And so this is when I was first exposed to Rick Pino, uh, who I love as a worshiper right now. But when he, when he comes out on stage to worship, he's got a mohawk on that's dyed about four different colors. And I got to tell you, my old senior chief blood started to curl inside my veins. I just looked at this. I'm like, what in the world? However, I was judging through the eyes and not through the heart or the eyes of Adonai. Because when he and his team started to worship, it was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had. And within 20 or 30 minutes, the entire worship team just lays prostate on the ground, and everyone in that place is, is worshiping and praising God. And so what I learned from that, and, and what you're in a place now that people from around the world were flocking to this place. By the time we got down there, they had this inflatable structure that could hold 10,000 people, and it was standing room only. And so we know that the leader of this, Tom Bentley, that he was engaged in severe sin, he, he was just back in the frontline news uh, three, four months ago, even though he'd been walked through to be restored and brought back into ministry, still moral failures in his life. And, and I, listen to me, I, I'm not judging or picking on a person. I'm just telling that's who it was that was leading this. And so people I personally know, I witnessed myself because they would worship and then they would have, give testimonies. During the worship, people were healed. I heard the testimonies of three people I personally know. I know for a fact they were healed. And you're thinking, well, wait a minute, how in the world can this be? How can this guy be in moral failure, involved in this, and yet God is healing and touching people? I shared this at the last Kadima talk. Samson, the strongest Nazir ever, this guy who made this vow with God, gets out from a bed with a Philistine prostitute and go destroys the, pulls the entire gate out of their city wall. You know, he's in sin, yet God is still moving through him. And so we see this, listen, there was people at this revival from around the world. People took everything they had, sold whatever they had to get a plane ticket to come to Polk City, Florida, because they heard God was there. God reacts to that zeal. If you get 10,000 people in a room that are heartfelt, sold out, seeking God, no matter what the price or the cost, he will respond to this. Despite the sin of this man who was leading it, God still moved. People were saved. People were dynamically, supernaturally healed. I witnessed it with my own eyes. Listen, we went down a second time. It's about three weeks after the first time. And this is when I knew something was amiss. The worship was still as profound they then go into periods of testimony. Supernatural healings were occurring. Then they would go into the word. And then a so-called prophetess, here we go, false prophets, uh, the guy leading it, Bentley, uh, was now getting tattoos all over his body. Now, I know in the modern generation this is an unpopular word, but Leviticus says specifically, do not tattoo your bodies. Because you are the temple of God, your temple is holy. Don't tattoo your bodies. 
Well, here's this guy. He's leading this revival. Now he's getting these new tattoos all over his forearms, all over his body. And then this prophetess has a word from the Lord and stands up and says that, that he was God's canvas and that God was painting a story through his tattoos. I looked at Rabitz and Barb. She looked at me. I said, oh, we're done here. I'm done with this. And we got up and we left. We walked out. And uh, because that was not a word from the Lord, she was not hearing from the Lord, and he was not acting in a godly way. And I knew this thing was in trouble. Within 10 days after that, the whole thing had failed. And if you didn't know, he, he committed uh, uh, immoralities. Uh, he was having an affair with one of his intercessors, divorced his wife to marry the intercessor. The rest, as we say, is history. But how do we get involved in things like this? Why does this happen of people serving God because of pride and arrogance? They believe that they're above this. Supernatural things begin to happen in your life. And here's the danger. You start thinking, oh, I'm God's favorite. He, he's working through me. I can do whatever I want. And we fall into the hyper grace, hyper love message that we don't have to be obedient. It's just the opposite because that's the foundations for pride and arrogance. We have to have a humble, contrite heart. We have to remain poured out before him. In fact, Yeshua said in, in Mark 9, those who want to lead must become servants. You have to humble to servanthood. That's how we get to positions of leadership in the kingdom, not through pride and arrogance. And we see this in Hasetan himself, how selfish and arrogant and puffed up in pride that he had the audacity to, to attempt to make himself like God and the ruler of the universe. Like Hasetan, those who defiantly rebel against God and rise up against him will face disaster and death that never ends well. And, you know, if you go back and look over, some of these have been these previous ministers that have failed. They have been restored to limited uh, areas of ministry. But listen, it's never the same. The presence of God is never the same. Does God forgive? Yes. H however, look at David. David was a man after God's own heart. This was a man who who's, who's spent years tending the sheep, worshiping the Lord. And in this relationship, his first weapon was worship. And in this relationship, when the bear come, when the lion came, he, he slew them all and protected the flock. This is a guy who slew the mighty Goliath and slew giants throughout his life. And yet, it comes a time for war in the springtime. When kings go to war, but David didn't go to war. He sent the troops. He stayed at home. He got arrogant. He got a little haughty. He's like, you know, I'm the guy after God's own heart. I don't have to do this stuff anymore. He was in bed till midday. He didn't rise early like the rest of us do. He looks out and he looks down and who's he see taking a mikvah? A naked Bathsheba, which leads him to take another man's wife, which leads him to murder her husband, which then uh, leads to sin in his camp. Does he repent? Yes. But it says a sword would never leave his family. Next thing you know, you got rebellion. You got one of his sons sleeping with his daughters. That you know, David remained in God's covenant promise, and, and of David's lineage, we have the Messiah. But his life—listen, his life after this was never the same. That's that's the arrogance of pride, because we don't think our actions through, and the prideness of our heart. I'm going to get away with this. This is what I want. I deserve this because I'm the servant of God, and it ends in failure, and it's never the same again. When these other guys and gals, when they come back, it's never the same. They don't have the same fiery presence of God with them, and and this comes hand in hand with what I've been sharing about anointing. There's a misconception. When you're anointed, you're set apart for a calling to do a job, 
If you're anointed to be a psalmist and a worshiper, then you're, he has given you the gifts to do that. And the gifts and callings, the anointings of God are irrevocable. That doesn't leave you. What departs from you is the presence of God. Saul was anointed to be king. He was the king till the day he died. But where his failures brought him in that made the presence of God depart from him, and it was chaos after that. When David sinned with Bathsheba, his first prayer was, Oh God, don't have your presence depart from me. He understood this. And so when, when we get to places of leadership, whether this is in your business or whether this is in ministry, that there tends to be a complacency that now I'm at this place, I'm highly favored of God, and I'm above this. The reality is when you're in that position, you're now at the most dangerous place in your life because the enemy will seek to pull you down. And how will he do it? Through defiant, rebellious self-righteousness and pride, which is not only in the world, but it's in the greater body of Messiah. We see it in those who will not change from their old ways and those who will not admit wrongdoing, those who will not forgive. And why is pride so sinful? Because we as individuals receive all the praise, glory, and honor, vice God. That's what a prideful heart. I built this ministry. I built this business. But as we read in Deuteronomy, it's God who gave us the ability to do this. And so if we get too wealthy, too successful, then in the pride and arrogance of our hearts, we say, oh, I did this, and we forget God. God explicitly states that he cannot abide in or leave unpunished those that are prideful because he demands and will receive all the praise, the glory, and the honor that he is due. In Psalms 101, verse 5, if someone slanders another in secret, I will cut him off. Haughty eyes and proud hearts I cannot abide. Let me repeat that. The Lord said, haughty eyes and proud hearts I cannot abide. Proverbs 16, verse 5, Adonai detests all those with proud hearts. Be assured that they will not go unpunished. Isaiah 2, verse 17, the arrogance of all people will be brought low. Their pride will lie in the dust. The Lord alone will be exalted. Ezekiel 28, verse 5, by your great skill in trading, you have increased your wealth, and it is because of your wealth that you have become so proud. Are you seeing the connection here? Let me pause here. I got one more scripture to read, but I want to pause and let you ponder this for a second. Two times in our history as a people, as a nation, as Israel, we've been removed from the land for this very reason. Both times when Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar came in, and we went into 70-year expulsion, a 70-year diaspora in Babylon, then becoming Persia. And then, in, as we know, in AD 70, the Second Temple was destroyed, and once again, we were scattered to the four corners of the earth. Both those times when judgment came, both those times when the temple was destroyed and we were taken into captivity, they were the most wealthiest periods in our history. 